Good morning, church. Good morning. Great to see you guys today. I hope you've had a, a good week and you're ready to worship the Lord today in song and through scripture. I wanted to give you an opportunity to participate right off. Not looking for sermons, just a short little maybe one word, two, three words. Um, I want you to just fill this blank in. I'm thankful that the Lord is, let's go, gracious, merciful, sovereign. Do that again, Nancy. Coming again. Amen. Yes. He's good. Do what? Shelter. He's our shelter. Faithful, forgiving, in control. Yes. <laughs> She meant yes to in control. Isn't it good to be able to share about the Lord? All right. Well, I know we're on live stream, so hopefully you guys heard all that. And if you didn't, we'll just say this. The Lord is good. All right. And all the time, the Lord is good. All right. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter. We'll read through some each week. Ephesians chapter 1. If you'll stand as we read God's word together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seal is not removable. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise 
of his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray uh, together. Lord, you are so, so good. Just to hear your people this morning give you praise through one word. Uh, just, just so thankful to be able to participate in that and to be able to be a part of this fellowship. And uh, Lord, I just enjoy so much being with these believers. And I just pray, Lord, that today that as we worship you uh, through song and then through your word, that we would, um, Lord, just uh, enjoy this time together. And uh, as we anticipate your coming for us, and uh, I pray, Lord, that as you come, you'll find us ready, ready to be with you. And uh, Lord, that we would um, be living lives that are separated to you, all for your glory. And so we just give you this morning in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see everybody in the, in the house of the Lord today. And uh, everybody's all wrapped up in their uh, heavy coats and everything because it's getting cold outside. And I guess it's time to do that. As a matter of fact, it's so cold that a couple of our group that's supposed to be here this morning got snowed in over on the other, on the other side of Atlanta. <laughs> So uh, Brent and Sharon are on their way back right now. They're going to make it for the second service, hopefully. But uh, but anyway, so we can pray for them as they come back. But uh, So uh, just us three up here, and we're going to just sing songs about the cross. How about that? We can always sing songs about the cross, amen? The power of the cross. Let's, let's sing this together. Let's worship. To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame for the wrath we stand for, given at the Took the blame 
the daylight flees now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head curtain torn in two dead are raised to life finished the crushed to death, life is mine to live, one through your selfless love, this the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. Hands, his feet. 
Demands our soul, our life, our all. And that's what Christ demands of us. He said we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all of our might. And that's how, because that's how he loves us. He loves us with a deep, deep love of Jesus. Let's sing this together, how deep the Father's love for us. deep the lover's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch's Which more the chosen one bring many sons to glory? Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, a shame. sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will 
seated <clears throat> song right now uh, there's only half of us here to do it but we're going to do the best we can with it but you know the song we sung it several the choir has sung it several times and it talks about our worth what is our worth our worth to the Lord is that he sent his only son into the uh, to die for our sins he paid our debt so our worth really comes from what's reflected off the cross. I read that little quote. I wish I had it with me today. But it's from the light of the cross is what gives us our worth. Nothing else, nothing else that we do gives us any worth at all. So I want you to sing along with this. You know the song. Just sing along and help us out a little bit up here because it's, the song is called My Worth Is Not In What I Own. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in eternal call 
Thank you, Ron and ladies. I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we know we are valuable to you because your word tells us that. We also recognize that at times... We don't behave as valuable possessions. I pray that this morning we would consider the point of being an honorable vessel and how that is accomplished. I pray that we would be ready to make some decisions today that um, maybe we haven't considered in a while. And I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us in the name of Christ. Amen. This is one of those days that's a decision-making day. 
you're going to have some decisions to make and you're going to leave here, I really believe, thinking about some of the decisions. This is a pretty um, difficult text in a lot of respects. I think it's the most difficult is to take it in and to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You know, it's one thing for someone to stand up in a pulpit or in a classroom and teach, but it's another thing to um, have to consider it as you're teaching, as you're working on it. And then it's important that the audience consider what's being said and kind of chew on it and not let it go. Does that make sense? I mean, in other words, you just, we're not in in an exercise of, well, you come and you sit and you listen and you go home and, and you never think about it again. There are decisions that have to be made by each of us as Christians as we approach God's Word. That's just the reality of living the Christian life. And, and it's the hard part. Because the more we know, the more we're responsible for. We just can't get away from that. All of us have made decisions at times, and some of them difficult. I remember sitting at a dentist office just um, a few years ago. And I had a tooth back here. It's no longer there. But I was sitting in the dentist chair, and he said, Dad, you're going to have to make a decision. Do you want me to do a root canal, or do you want me to pull it? And I'm like, well, how bad do I need it? So I began to be inquisitive, right? Do I really need that tooth? How important is it? And it came to the point where I had heard horror stories about root canals. And so as I'm sitting in the chair, I'm like, one more time, how much do I really need that tooth? He said, you'll be all right without it. I said, pull it. So he pulled my tooth, and now I have a place. I have a snack. gets stuck every once in a while. I might get a cracker stuck in there, and I eat it later, if you know what I mean. <laughs> decision-making sometimes is difficult, and decision-making as it relates to the Christian life is difficult. For one to say that we have no decisions to make is just wrong. It doesn't match up with Scripture. Because we have responsibility, otherwise there's not a judgment seat. Makes no sense. Right? The Bema seat, while we're not condemned, we have a time where the Lord Jesus Christ will judge us based on what we've done. As 1 Corinthians 3 clearly points out. So as we come to this particular section of Scripture... um, you're going to find that there are three different viewpoints. I gave you a handout, and I'll go over those, but I have one that I'm pretty strong on in terms of what I believe the Apostle Paul is doing here. I think you have to consider the whole context, meaning what's Paul doing with Timothy? What's he doing? Well, if you think about it, he's trying to do what? He's trying to encourage him to do what? Finish, to continue in the ranks you got to continue. This is something you need to do. You need to have your mind that you would continue, that you would finish the course that God's given you. Just like Paul was able to say at the end of this book, I've finished the course. He wants that for Timothy. He doesn't want him straying off. He doesn't want him wandering around. He wants him focused, laser-focused on the Lord and what the Lord has for his life. Now, that's important. that was important for Timothy, but it's important for you and me today to have a laser focus. Lord, we know what you tell us And we need to obey what you tell us, and we need to do what you tell us, and we need to be vessels of honor 
not vessels of dishonor. So I wanted to kind of go over these verses with you, and then we'll get into the lesson itself. In order to gain context, you have to go back to verse 19. So if we could begin reading in verse 19, and then go through verse 21. Paul says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. In other words, even though there's interruption at times with those who are propagating a false message, who are within the body, who are part of the body. He says, the firm foundation of God stands. The firm foundation being the church. It stands. And remember what I said about that. It has stood, it does stand, and it continues and will stand. It will stand. And we know that because even pre-church, what did the Lord Jesus say? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's going to stand. It's going to remain. He says, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows his church. That's his point. He knows his church. Who makes up the church? Those in Christ. Those who've been called out by the Lord and separated to him. That's the ones that belong to him. And that's who he's talking about. The Lord knows those who are his. And then he says, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now what's interesting about that, that phrase there is the uh, word names. In, in Greek it means this. Everyone who names the name of the Lord and continues to name the name of the Lord. In other words, who does that? Believers do that. Those who belong to Christ do that. But he gives them instruction, those who name the name of the Lord. He says, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to do what? Abstain from wickedness. Does wickedness go on with believers? Answer, yes, it does. The word wickedness, I've given you the definition of it in your notes. He's referring to unjust acts like fraud, theft, immorality. Does that go on in the church? With believers, yes. And so that's the context. The context is he's talking about believers, those that belong to him. And he doesn't want, and this is very important, he doesn't want Timothy off on that path. He's writing a personal letter. And obviously he has the believers in mind, but foremost, I believe, in context, he has Timothy in mind. And then he gives us a picture in verse 20. Now it's important that I tell you there are three views of this, two of which I do not agree with, uh, one which I absolutely agree with. First view is Paul is describing true and false believers. I'm not quite sure how you do that with verse 19. And considering the overall context in which he's talking, remember back to verse 2, faithful men. He hasn't changed his audience. He's talking about believers. So I'm not even sure how one's to determine a false believer. Because remember, who knows those that are his? The Lord does. But that's one view, and there are theologians that hold to that. I just happen to disagree with him. The second viewpoint is that Paul is referring to true and false teachers. 
But those who hold to that view believe the false teachers are unbelievers. Well, that's a problem if you go to the context in verse 19. You say, well, what about Philetus and Hymenaeus? It doesn't say they weren't saved, does it? doesn't say that at all. In fact, there's every indication from 1 Timothy that Paul was disciplining, disciplining Hymenaeus, who was in the church. So, but there are good theologians that hold that view. I just don't agree with them. That's one of the hard things about teaching is like you get into this and going, I mean, there's good guys that, that say that. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't agree with you. I'm having a hard time struggling with context. The third view is the view I hold to. The Paul is referring here in this picture to two different groups of believers. Um, and even within this view, there are two views. Isn't that cool? When you have three views and then within the third view, there's another view. And I'm going to tell you why. There's two views um, within the third view. Uh, let me fast. Can I fast forward to verse 21? Is that possible? Be 21. There you go. Those who hold to the view that Paul's addressing um, believers um, focus on this word useful. And, he, and, and they point out, hey, you know, Paul's talking about being a useful vessel. And I'm like, well, yeah, he does talk about that. But I don't think that's his focus. While it's true that we need to be vessels of honor, right, and useful vessels, I think the emphasis is on being vessels of honor. Part of being a vessel of honor is that you're useful to the master. So it really does depend how you approach it. Is he talking about vessels of honor, or is he talking about being useful? He's talking about both. But his primary focus is being a vessel of honor. What does a vessel of honor look like? So that's where I've been the last couple weeks in studying this. I've given you in your notes that uh, the word vessel was used of a variety of domestic items, including furniture, tools, utensils, and more. That's, that's the picture that... We're given in verse 20. Look what it says. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So what he's saying here is that the vessels of gold and silver are the honorable vessels. And the vessels of wood and clay are the dishonorable vessels. That's what he's giving us a picture of. And so in this house, you have vessels that were used for honorable purposes, okay? Honorable pur purposes. They were the vessels that were magnificent. They were gold and they were silver. They were in prominent places. They were used in that culture for entertainment, for banquets. That's the picture that Paul is giving about these utensils in this large house. Now, theologians are in agreement why there are three different views. They are in agreement that the Lord is talking about his church, okay, in terms of the large house. They believe that's a reference to uh, the church. But what's different is this, that they would distinguish the vessels as being the gold and silver potentially being, obviously being the believers, but the clay and the wood being unbelievers. I don't see that. I see as contextually 
he's talking about believers, whether he's talking about the ones that are gold and silver or the ones that are clay and wood. So in uh, this passage, he says, verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there are some of uh, wood and earthenware. Now, the wood and earthenware vessels were used in that culture to, to, to put garbage in and carry out. They re- were even used to dispose of human waste. So you have two, obviously, completely different pictures. You have gold and silver vessels who were prominent and exposed. And you have earthenware and wood vessels that were used for purposes like disposing of garbage and disposing of human waste. Dishonorable vessels. Now in context, he's talking figuratively about the church, the believers. That there are believers in the church that are described as gold and silver vessels who are committed to living the Christian life to the glory of God, to pleasing Him. In fact, Paul was one of those vessels we know because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, you have that there? Therefore, look what Paul says, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to do what? To be pleasing to Him. So Paul's goal as a vessel of the Lord was to be pleasing to the Lord. You say, well, is there a reason for that? There was. In fact, it's interesting in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, Why? For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So he had as his ambition, as a vessel of the Lord, to be pleasing to the Lord. Well, in the house, back to 2 Timothy, in the house there were not only honorable vessels, but dishonorable vessels. And we've already said that the wood and the clay vessels describe believers who are living lives of wickedness, which goes back to verse 19. And remember we said that the word wickedness describes unjust acts, like, for example, sexual immorality, like, for example, fraud. You could say, like, for example, lying, just sin in general. But notice the distinction, they're living lives that way. In other words, this is their lifestyle. That's where some people have a problem. Some people say, well, a a believer doesn't have a lifestyle of sin. Well, yeah, they can. David did for a while, did he not? Solomon did for a while, did he not? Believers can and do. I'm going to show you some examples of that. But the scriptures clearly warn us about the fact that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil, right, as believers. And so Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians, can I just control that? 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, look what he says, but examine everything carefully. Who's he writing to? Believers. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then he goes on uh, to talk about in that passage, how that is done. The things that we're to abstain from. So in the King James Version, I love the way it's worded there. Look what I have in your notes. I don't have it up here on the screen. But in the KJV, it says abstain from all appearance of evil. That's kind of different, isn't it? That's different wording. I really like the KJV in that. It's an accurate translation. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
That's a hard one for us, is it not? So see, decisions have to be made. Are we going to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord? Are we going to abstain from wickedness? Paul uses this analogy to paint a picture that in a large house, there are believers that are honorable, and there are believers that are dishonorable. There are believers that are gold and silver. silver. There are believers that are wood and clay. And what distinguishes that is the behavior of the believer. That's what's tied back to verse 19 when he talks about wickedness. And so as we come to this question in your notes, how does Paul describe a vessel of honor? It's important to consider that. Because we have to consider not only um, what Paul was writing to Timothy, but we have to consider it for our own lives. What does it mean to be a vessel of honor? Well, first of all, a vessel of honor is clean. He's clean. Notice the scriptures, what it says. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these... He will be a vessel for honor. So in other words, he starts out with the word therefore. Therefore, because there are in this large house believers of honor and believers of dishonor, he says if anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel for honor. So you're like, what in the world are you talking about? How is a vessel of honor how does a vessel of honor become clean? Well, the Bible says that you have to cleanse, he has to cleanse himself from these. So the question becomes, cleanse ourselves from what? Well, the New American Standard says these things. But notice things is italicized. So it's just putting in there. And so you're like, okay, well, that doesn't help much. What's Paul saying? If I'm going to be a vessel of honor, I have to cleanse myself from the dishonorable vessels. That's the closest antecedent to his instruction. He says, if anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel for honor. We have to cleanse ourselves from the dishonorable vessels. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying, in order to be a clean vessel, I left one blank in your notes. In order to be a clean vessel, one must be free from the dishonorable vessels. You say, hold on, time out. That's hard stuff. That's right. (laughs) It is hard stuff. Isn't it? In fact, the scriptures are clear that at times we have to distance ourselves from the dishonorable vessels in the church. Believers who are behaving wickedly. Um, Let me give you some scriptures that just prove that. Instead of you taking my word for it. We go to... um, This is not working. Mm, What happened? There we go. Look what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
He says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, who's he writing to? The believers at Thessalonica. See, there's confusion. People say, well, everyone in a building like this is a believer. No. What he's doing in this passage is he's talking simply about believers. That the overall church, the believers. And so when Paul writes, here he's talking to who? Believers. The believers in Thessalonica. And he says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not what? Associate with him. So that he will be put to shame. <laughs> That's strong language. This is what he's not saying. He's not saying that if a person is living a lifestyle of sin, that we ignore the person. That's not what he's saying. Okay? But that we don't buddy up to that person and just say, oh, everything's fine. Because the reality of it is, when one is living in wickedness, what do believers do? They pursue their brother or their sister in Christ. We don't come alongside of them and just hang out with them and affirm their activity, do we? No, we don't. This is probably not the most popular section of Scripture. But the reality of it is this. If I begin to hang out with people who are openly committing sin, who are living a life of sin, and they're believers, and I'm associating with them, and I'm hanging out with them, I'm affirming what they're doing. In fact, we had an example of this years ago. In a church I was at where a man had left his wife. And long story short, he had people in the congregation, in the congregation who were naming the name of the Lord, professing believers, who were affirming what he was doing and saying, it's okay. He doesn't have to live with her if he doesn't want to. Is that true? Right? Professing believers who are affirming the actions of another believer who was in sin. I know this is hard instruction, but you can't get away from it. What does the Lord desire? A pure church. Okay? This is another passage that's difficult. Let me make mention of this. He says, now notice this, he says, yet do not regard him as an enemy. He's not an enemy, <laughs> but admonish him as what? A brother. He's a brother. But there are people that live lives of disobedience at times who name the name of the Lord, who know the Lord. And so we don't leave them alone in terms of going after them. We love on them. We want them to return. But we can't just hang out with them and say, what you're doing is okay. We affirm what you're doing. Paul, in another letter, writes some pretty strong language 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. This is the context where someone had his father's wife. Okay? And it says this. Paul writes this. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. <laughs> or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. Okay, well, what's he talking about? Keep going. It says, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What do you do with that? What do you do with that scripture? You say, well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to obey that. No, it's not what we do. This is what happens in the church. You have dishonorable vessels that support things they shouldn't support, that make decisions in terms of living a lifestyle they shouldn't live. We don't advocate at all what they're doing we don't run to them and hang out with them but we run to them in love and say hey look this is what God says and if they don't listen then we take two or three people and we go back to them and there's a process we love on them by going to them to show them the truth but we don't affirm the things they're doing and there's a fine line there and you're going to have to make a decision. And you probably already have had to in your Christian life. How do I handle this particular situation with this group of people or an individual? It's hard. But there's no doubt in my mind that in the context of the passage that the Apostle Paul in verse 21 is referring to the dishonorable vessels. That if you're going to be a vessel of honor... As a believer, you have to be free from the vessels of dishonor. Proverbs says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of, fool, the companions, excuse me, of fools will suffer harm. So if we're going to be vessels of honor, we have to free ourselves from the dishonorable vessels, number one. Secondly, he says that a vessel of honor is set apart. Notice what it says in verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from these, from these vessels of dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor. And then he says sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. What's interesting about the word, if you do a little bit more study, is the word was used to describe uh, pagans who were set apart to their gods. Did you know that at salvation you were set apart to God. Did you know that? But then there's the progressive sanctification of the believer. That in our lives we are to be set apart to the Lord. That we're to honor Him in all that we do. That we're to surrender to Him. That we're to say, hey Lord, it's your life, it's not my life. Um, and we have to consider passages like Romans 12 verse 2. If we're going to be set apart to the Lord in our life then we have to
to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Notice Paul wrote, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we're going to be vessels of honor who are set apart in our Christian life, we have to have the mind that is set apart to the will of God. You say, well, what's the will of God? Well, there's passages of Scripture that speak about that, that speak about our sanctification and how that's to look. I wanted to show you one of those. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about this issue of being set apart. Notice what he says. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Meaning that you be set apart as a believer in your daily life. And he defines it here. He says that is that you abstain from sexual immorality or sexual sin. We live in a culture that is dominated by sexual sin. Look at the temptations that are out there for everyone. You take the phone. I mean, young people today have phones by the time they're, I don't know, 8, 10, 11 years old. We know what's on those phones. We know the access these young people have to sexual immorality. It's out there. They hit a few buttons, and they're seeing things they should not see. How many of you innocently have typed in something on Google and the next thing you know you're like hello I wasn't expecting that to come up it happens it happens and we live in a culture where sexual immorality is okay with people in fact it, it's almost this way that even in the church that that part of my life is my business my sexual life is my business. Well, is that true? It's not true. If I name the name of the Lord, then I need to consider what God has said about sexuality. And parents, I know that one of the things you have the responsibility to is to teach your children about what God says. I, I promise you, having raised three boys, they're going to get the other side. Every single day they walk into those schools, they are met with temptation after temptation after temptation after temptation just in this area. So Paul says this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality and we just have to love the picture of Joseph. What did he do? Every day he did what? He ran, man. Get out of there. You got to run. Hey, if the phone's a problem... You got to do something about it, don't you? There's decisions to be made. I keep going with that. That each of you, he says, know how to possess his own vessel, his own body, in sanctification and honor. What does that mean? It means there has to be a discipline in my life as a Christian. And that as a Christian, 
I don't have in mind what the world says or what the world thinks. I have in mind what God says. And he's already said it. So he says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And then he says, not in lustful passion. And look at this comparison. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. What do we expect from the pagans? They're going to behave as pagans. But for the believer, the Lord expects what? He expects purity. He expects holiness. He's just got a whole different agenda from the world. <laughs> you know? I mean, I remember in this particular area um, when I was young, I mean, you had to make an effort to see pornography. Right? You did. Not these days. These young people can click and they're there. Every one of your students, I'll call them, need you to keep them accountable. Every single man in this room needs to be accountable to another man. And every single woman to another woman. I remember the first time I brought that up to a youth group several years ago. I have one kid, he said, I can't do that. Just right out loud. And afterwards, he came up and talked to me. He said, Dad, I can't do that. I said, you can't do what? He said, Account be accountable? He said, because there's times I fail. I said, that's exactly why we're accountable. Because we do fail. There are times that we give in to sin. So keep going. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, keep going, for God has not called us for the purpose of what? Impurity, but he's called us in sanctification. We're to be set apart in our behavior. We're not to be like the world. Go to verse 8. So he who rejects this, ugh, he who rejects this instruction is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And here's the thing, we can have victory in these areas because the Holy Spirit is in us. So we look at this particular issue that a vessel of honor is set apart. He's sanctified. He's being led by the Spirit of God. That's the key, being led by the Spirit. We don't have time to read it this morning, but I would encourage you to read Galatians 5, 16 through 26, where Paul just talks about walking by the Spirit and not carrying out the lust of the flesh and where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So... Those are in contrast. We don't want to be controlled by the flesh. We want to be controlled by the Spirit. So he says, A vessel of honor is clean. A vessel of honor is set apart. I like what Priscilla Schreier wrote about this. She said, and she's just a real simple statement. She said, Don't look to man, look to God. If you don't know who that is, that's Tony Evans' daughter. She's an author and a teacher. I thought her statement while simple was profound. We don't look to man, we look to God. So then thirdly, he says, a vessel of honor is useful to the master. Notice what it says, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these, from these vessels of dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and then he says, useful to the master. In this context, he's talking about the master of the house first who had 
ownership. But figuratively, who is he talking about? Who has ownership of us? The Lord Jesus Christ. He bought us. He redeemed us. We have been bought with a price. He owns us. I bought a truck this last week. And I own that truck. I'm paying for that truck. Jesus Christ owns Thad Blunt. He paid for me. He bought me with his precious blood. I'm his. I belong to him. Who has the right to control my life? The master, Christ does. Unfortunately, I think when it comes to this particular issue of being controlled by the master, a lot of Christians, I believe, have not considered the fullness of that statement. Meaning this, that if he is my master then he has rights to every area of my life. How's that sound? Is that right? It's right. So, as we look at the statement here, it says that a vessel of honor is useful to the master. It means that this, that a vessel of honor has at the center of their life Jesus Christ. He's at the center. He's at the center of their life when they're at work, when they're at play, when they're with family, he's just the center. Every time I do premarital counseling, I talk to young people about that. Christ has to be the center of your life in your marriage. He has to be. I love the couple of verses here that Paul uses in two different occasions. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, I love this verse. Because you remember that John Mark what did he do in that first missionary journey? He bailed out, right? We're not given the details about that. And we know it bothered the Apostle Paul because on the second missionary journey, what happened? Paul took Silas. Who took John Mark? Barnabas did. But notice now, this is later, it says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. And man, all God's people are rejoicing, right? For he is useful to me for service. And then in Philemon, verses 10 and 11. Notice what it says. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, who was the runaway slave. Whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Who formerly was, what, useless to you. Well, he was useful as a slave, was he not? Yes, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the fact that he's useful to him now on a spiritual level. He's your brother. And notice what he says, but now he's useful both to you and to me. Useful to the master. If you're an honorable vessel... If you're one that's set apart, living a life that's set apart to the Lord. Um, I have to ask you the question. Have you laid it all in line and said, Lord, I want to be used by you for your glory in whatever you desire? 
I remember when that happened to me. I was married. Teresa and I were married for three years. I was at the apartment on Southside. I was in there just sitting there. I was about ready to graduate from Southeastern Bible College. And there were many a day that I would sit on the front porch of the administration building. And during the wintertime, you could see the interstate system. And I used to just like, Lord, where are you going to send me? But that particular day, the Lord was like, are you really serious about saying whatever I want you to do, you'll do it? And man, I just, I mean, I had a hard time. I was weeping. I was sitting on the edge of my bed. I had no idea what the Lord would do with that. But I was willing to be used by him. Guys, when, when we say that, right, we have to mean it. Because the Lord can use you as an honorable vessel in any capacity that he chooses. And you know what I found in my Christian life? When I felt, feel the least prepared to be whatever, that's the most growing time in my life. Because I have to be dependent on him. Because you hear people say in a church at times, well, I just can't do that. I just don't work with kids. What do you mean you don't work with kids? They're kids. I just don't do senior adults. Why not? I love hanging around senior adults. Isn't it funny how when you think about useful to the master, every tool or utensil was available to the master of a house. Guys, the Lord wants us to be useful. And that demands that we go, hey, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do. At whatever age, there's no retirement in the Lord's army. All right, one, one more point that he makes. He says that a vessel of honor is clean, he set apart, useful to the master, and then lastly, prepared for good works. Now, this is really awesome. The Greek word for prepared emphasizes an eagerness and a willingness to serve the Lord. Okay, we get that. That's pretty simple. The question becomes there is, are you eager and willing? The Greek word points to the fact that one has already been created for good works. Is that true? If you're a believer, answer yes. Look what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says. For we are his what? Workmanship. Notice the word there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, prepared. The Greek word points to the fact that that has already, right, been decided. We are his workmanship. It, we've already been created for good works. The issue is yielding to the Spirit's leading in our lives. And I love the picture that this paints. The word workmanship, you can use the, the illustration of display case. We are God's display case. Right? 
What do you do with gold and silver vessels? You display them. The Lord wants us to be a display case, right? We are his display case. The question becomes, how does that look in our lives? When I was um, working for Food for Less in the state of Arkansas, I was probably 20 years old. And one of the responsibilities I had was to put up displays. And so if you want your display to be noticed, where are you going to put the display? Up front, out front. When they walk through the doors, I worked with the Frito-Lay guy a bunch. And that was great because I love Fritos. But he always wanted his display, like you would walk in the store and you might take eight steps and it was right there. And I remember asking one time, I was like, why do you want it so close to the door? He said, Thad, people's eye, when they first walk in a grocery store, something catches their eye. And he's like, I want it to be the Fritos. How many of you have walked in a store and seen a display case, did not, walking into the store, intend to buy that item, but when you walk past that item and you were like, whoa, Fritos, Cheetos, Right, and you, and you might even take three or four steps beyond the display, and then you go back and go, uh, right? And when you get home, your wife says, hey, babe, that wasn't on the list. And you're like, eh, you weren't there. Right, it might be Oreos. When they display Oreos, right? They're in prominent places. They're for people to see. Now, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but it's true. We're God's display case. He wants the world to see us. He wants other believers to see us. To see us how? Representing Him well. Glorifying Him. So, when you think about it, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is saying, we're God's work of art. And He wants us to be on display. For our glory, no. For his glory. And that's exactly the picture that's being painted there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it's amazing because it connects so well back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I wanted you to think about this morning some decisions. I want to go back through this and just give you a couple of thoughts. How would you describe your life as a believer right now? Would you say that you are indeed a vessel of honor? Would you say that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are a clean vessel? Meaning you have removed yourself from those influences, those dishonorable vessels that might take you down the wrong road. This is what happens with that. i got to mention this again. Some people would say, well, I can go hang out with them and not affirm their actions and I'll be okay. Many times that's not going to happen. We have to be very careful. I just want you to think about that. It's very important. So, are you a clean vessel? Have you removed yourself? Are you free from the dishonorable vessels? 
Because you know what dishonorable vessels are going to do to you? Dishonorable vessels mean dishonorable believers. They're going to drag you down. You have to be careful. I'm just, just warning you. Paul warned Timothy. I'm warning you. And then I wanted to ask you this question. If you are a clean vessel, then do you recognize the importance of being set apart in everything? That's something that you have to think through and decide. You know, we're responsible for every instruction we've been given from the Lord's Word. We're responsible for that. Third question I wanted to ask you is, as a vessel of honor, not are you useful to man, but are you useful to the master? Are you saying to the master, here I am? Then lastly, do you recognize that you have been prepared by God for good works? (laughs) That you would walk in them. Knowing that he's prepared them beforehand for you. And so in the church, meaning the believers, all of us who are saved have been called out to be a display case for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that where you are? Is your life a display case that's representing Christ well? I know there's some hard things to consider, but you just can't skip over verses. We don't have permission to do that. And I can't imagine when Timothy was reading that, he's going, oh my goodness, you know. There's some things I need to consider. So I wanted to have just a little bit of time with you just to ask you to bow your heads and and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to, to teach you whatever it is that he's trying to teach you and as we consider what's been said today from the Word. Lord, we uh, have considered a text today that's really difficult in terms of application. Let me first say, Lord, that we're thankful that you're the head of the church and that even when we're dealing with difficult passages that, Lord, you have our best in mind. And so I think that's the big picture, that we would understand that you have our best in mind. I think of all the instruction this morning, probably the hardest part is to recognize that there are times when, as honorable vessels, we have to distance ourselves from dishonorable vessels. Doesn't mean we don't love them, doesn't mean we don't pursue them, but we can't affirm their wickedness.
pretty strong term you use about those who name the name of the Lord. It ought to put us in a mind of of warning. Um, we represent you. We are, as honorable vessels, on display for you. And everybody watches us. If we name the name of the Lord, we have people watching. We have people watching who are believers. We have people watching who are unbelievers. And Lord, I hope it's our mind to represent you well. Um, I'll confess to you, Lord, before these people that there have been times in my life where I haven't done that. Haven't represented you well. I remember being a young man thinking that my actions really didn't matter. I could do what I wanted to do. And, you know, I I really didn't think a whole lot about my sanctification in terms of living for you. And I remember moments where you stopped me and said that everything matters. It matters. So, Lord, I just thank you for your patience with me. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that when I have stumbled along the way and confessed that you're free to forgive. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, those that are yours, that, Lord, you would just help us to examine ourselves and that we would really be able to put our arms on, our hands on, excuse me, our hands on where we really are in our sanctification. Because it was very clear in this letter and is very clear that Paul wanted Timothy to be a vessel of honor. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would put that on our hearts and on our minds today and that the things that we do would demonstrate that we're vessels of honor. And that before we do anything at all, we would consider you and what your word has said to us. So please help us today. Thank you for your spirit that can help us. And I pray that we would be dependent on your spirit as we live each day. Hopefully, Lord, for your glory. And all these things we pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.